Get into the podcast though. I like the uh I like the Gerard Carmichael. Yo, so what should we talk about? I don't uh, know if ahead. y'all fuck with Gerard introduce, like that. Go ahead, introduce it, Josh. Go ahead. Uh so we we talking about exposure. Uh this this episode is gonna be called Exposed, and we wanna like I guess briefly touch on exactly what it is to be exposed, you know, the benefits that it can have. Uh, maybe some of the perils of exposure and the privilege that comes with it. Um, so I guess while we we when we decide to jump into this, man, what 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 do we mean when we say exposed? Are we talking about like exposure as far as feelings in a relationship, or what are we talking about with this? Soft, soft. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> the premise that we wrote down was that broadening your horizons uh, by being subjected to diverse people, environments, and fostering stimulation of ideas and passions. So essentially what we're saying is the more that you're exposed to, I guess the more your horizons have been broadened and therefore uh, you can go farther in life or uh, you might have more fluent and fluid ideas, thoughts, feelings. Uh, I mean, essentially life is better the more exposed you are. Yeah, because it's kind of like a a constant learning cycle. You know, that's, that's one thing that I guess one thing we, we always want to promote is like you got to always keep learning. Like every day your brain got to keep changing. And that is the result of being exposed to things that you may not have had access to, especially growing up like, you know, in the hood of St. Louis. It's very, very tight knit bubble where all you know is like, Black folks and, you know, the things around your neighborhood. But, um, you know, it's really getting exposed to the, you know, different foods, different different people, different literature, different movies, different music. Like that helps you flourish more, you know, in, in your career or even like just as a person. Yeah. So, I mean, and even to open it up, no matter where you come from or what you look like, you 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 were born into a certain situation. And at the end of the day, getting outside of that situation and learning more about everything else is pivotal. Okay. So um, so why is exposure important? Somebody want to go ahead and tack that first? I mean, one thing I think is important for exposure is like what Chris was touching on is a lot of times you grow up in a situation and you're only limited to what's in front of you. You can think of it like being stuck in a fog. And the only thing that you could immediately see are those things that are within arm's reach. And so to get out of that kind of redundancy of life and doing what somebody else before you has done, you have to be exposed and to leave an environment that you're comfortable with to go to something that you're uncomfortable with to actualize your growth. Exactly. So to piggyback off that, um, I think it's really easy and I think it's like super cliche to say, well, like where we from, all you see is like gangbangers and pimps or whatever. But it's like, depending on where you come from, you might not necessarily see anything other than a certain type of success. And if you only see that, that's what you're going to aim for. I think getting outside of your your bubble and, and the, the level of comfort that you have with where you're from and what you know 
leads to you, if not being more successful, at least finding other ways to be successful. And that's not just like monetary or business success, but success in life, uh, happiness, utility. So, I mean, it goes it goes much further than just saying like, oh, be exposed to like medicine. So one day you could be a doctor. It's like like Chris said, it could be being exposed to food. It could be something as simple as being exposed to a different, you know, thought process, but it, it'll make you better as a result. Yeah, but but you got to, <clears throat> I think the difficulty with that, though, is like, it is important, but how, how do you even open up or be open to new things like that? Like, it, it's so difficult to even try something new. Like, I guess that's probably my next question is like, like how how would you even get to that point? Like what what would even influence you to do something? So I mean, I, go ahead. Yeah. So like I said, uh, so I guess kind of like just a piggyback of what you guys were saying originally is that um, really ex- without you can't really grow without exposure. Right? Like you said, like the try and give the, the the metaphor of just the fog and not really be able to see what's on the other side of it. Uh, so to kind of answer Chris's question, like how do you get to that? I think it comes down to uh, two scenarios really. Um, you, ha- you you are exposed by your natural elements, right? So that's no matter you can't control those elements or whatever conditions you're in, you're exposed to certain, um, you know, uh, stimulants or whatever that form who you are and what you see it and form your ideology and passions. Um, and then there's also the other one where you go and seek it. Um, so it's being very intentional in what you go and expose yourself to in order to uh, foster and cultivate your growth. Yeah, I think going back to that analogy, just imagine being in the fog, like Daryl said. So you can either you can do two things. So one, I mean, you always have that person who reaches back. And that's kind of what you see with like people who start entrepreneurial groups and kind of do like outreach, you know, something like what we're trying to do with our organization and reaching back and pulling people up to where you are. And then, like you said, some of that, some sometimes people are self-motivated and they go seek those things out. My question to you guys is, what was one of the first experiences that you knew that, you know, hey, I'm actually being exposed to something I never thought I would be exposed to and kind of touch on what led to that scenario? So if I can if I can just hop in right now, I'll say one of my first exposures, honestly, like saying, you know, we all grew up in St. Louis and every single day, especially as, uh, you know, from primary school to middle school to, to high school, we were only just, you know, worried about where we were. Uh, it was, wasn't until we took that leap to go to college out of state. Uh, I decided to go to Oklahoma State. Uh, my first day on campus, I knew that I had been officially exposed. <laughs> uh, and I say that because um, St. Louis is a, I guess it's a diverse city, but it's highly segregated. So the first thing that I noticed when I got on Oklahoma State campus is that, man, I am in a sea of white people and it's like I've never seen this many white people a day in my life uh like how like how am I pretty much going to be able to uh maneuver and you know traverse you know this campus and the you know the idiosyncrasies of like trying to get acclimated to classroom and all this new environment that I've you know just been propelled in so that's definitely my first example um um I think mine started a little bit earlier than that. So I don't, I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, so I went to a county school for seven years. And a lot of folks that don't know what a county school is in St. Louis, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a watered down private school uh, where, yes, as a black person, you are prob- you are definitely in the minority. 
And uh, I think my my first exposure was when I dated my first white lady. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. No, I'm kidding. But no, um, <laughs> but no, that, that was probably my first level of exposure. Like, um, you know, I was around you know, a lot of a lot of Caucasian kids. Um, but like my best friend growing up was this Vietnamese dude named Joey. And like we used to hang out all the time. Like I used to always be up in, you know, the St. Charles, St. Anne area and Panville area. And, um, you know, I, I go to his house. I used to eat like Vietnamese food. Um, but it was also being a part of that particular like county school where they had things that, you know, they didn't have in, in public schools, you know. So that was probably that was definitely my first experience of being exposed. Um, but I don't I don't think I knew exactly what was happening. You know, I, I didn't realize that, you know, I was I was getting access to things that, you know, other folks maybe didn't have access to or that like, you know, public schools didn't provide. But um yeah, definitely started. Yeah, like that. and I'll echo like a similar one, Chris. I had, uh, you know, y'all been to the crib. I grew up over uh, on, off of Page, and like the, we went to the Y every summer. That was that was just what you did in the summer. You went to the Y, you went to camps, or you played basketball, or went to swim, or whatever. And at Monsanto, there's nothing but us. Um, but my mom actually and dad, I guess, purposely put us into uh, camps and whatnot at Carondelet. Why? Just so that we could be exposed to other people, you know, other thought processes, other types of camps. Um, it wasn't just like basketball and, and regular camp. They had aquatics and all that kind of stuff. So I think even early on, like Chris is saying, like, I think I was exposed to a couple of other different types of things. And that kind of like set up the exposure that would happen later in my life, uh, such as like Daryl is saying, like going to college or going to the working world. But I, I think that type of exposure is like super pivotal and, and should happen more. Yeah, for myself, it was kind of like what Chris said. I mean, I grew up um, going to Catholic schools, man. And so you got these nuns and you got masks and all this stuff. And I remember one summer, my pops was like, yeah, we're sending you to a public summer camp in the city. And I just remember going there day one, just like what I'm like, what, 10 years old. I'm looking around like, yo, these kids are wild. I didn't get into a fight that summer with the kid. And it was just like a total, like, I don't know, open my horizons as to far as far as like different socioeconomic statuses for just my own people. And uh, how people, you know, deal with certain things, poverty, hunger. And, you know, because one kid I got into a fight with, I mean, kid, I was like, oh, dude, you wear the same clothes every day. Not knowing, you know, I'm 10 years old, not knowing that, you know, some people just don't have that. And so just that exposure initially kind of shaped how I would handle those type of situations moving forward. See, that's actually pretty interesting because as I sit here and I listen to all you guys' stories about exposure, um, I like to think, like I said, <clears throat> I think all of you guys were like based around like the cultural like exposure, right? Which I think I actually pretty much got later on with, like I said, really in college. Like I've grown up in St. Louis. I, I grew up nothing, uh, you know, predominantly around like, you know, people of, you know, my color and, uh, you know, socio same socio socioeconomic situations or whatever. Um you know, you had some people that were poor and others, some people that had a little bit more money, but no one that just like really had the money. Um, but like, I mean, even earlier on, I guess my exposure changed when it came to education, right? So going from, I initially went to 
uh, some, some some schools in the North St. Louis uh, to where like the education is, you know, pretty basic. And then eventually taking, the, you know, the gifted test and then being, you know, exposed and put into a whole nother school system pretty much. Right. Um, so I think that's also another level of exposure as well. Yeah. I, I also want to just. I remember when I transitioned to a public school and that, <laughs> that shit changed my life, man. It was crazy. I'm, I mean, it was it was honestly like one of the best things ever happened to me. Shout out to public schools. Shout out to St. Louis Public Schools. Appreciate it. Uh, it was dope. And the reason it was dope was because um, not only because, you know, I was I was around, um, you know, more more of you know, minority people or whatever, but. It also opened my eyes from a, a male perspective in terms of male and female relationships because <laughs> them girls would set up some proper, if you know what I'm talking about. But um, but it, it was great. Like it, it was definitely something that that was pivotal also to my my own development um, as you know as a, a black man in St. Louis because it also gave me the opportunity to to understand like you know different neighborhoods of St. Louis where people are coming from in St. Louis, as opposed to like being out in the County where everyone's getting bust in and you know, you, you didn't really have a lot of connection with folks like that. So, so I guess the, I guess kind of what I want to ask you guys is like, what do you think has more of a primary, like is more of a primary factor is, is exposure really a uh, derivative of like your natural environment or is it more intentional? Um, I'll say, it's both, but I would say that what you're intentional about eventually becomes like who you are, right? So if you're intentional about going out and, and learning about other cultures or learning about other religions or learning about other socioeconomic statuses, eventually you get to the point where like your understanding of that is a part of you and you, you're able to communicate or network better with those people or better understand the food and the culture that comes out of a certain place or whatever. I mean, even when it comes down to like, you know, all of us have traveled at this point. So going to a different place and understanding the culture a little bit more exposes you. And then you eventually end up like kind of consuming a part of that and becoming something else, uh, almost like a, an evolution of sorts that you go through just from learning. And I think that is uh, the key and most pivotal part about exposure is that you end up becoming a better version of you as a result. I think even going back a little bit further, like even development, developmentally as a, as a kid, I think some of it does, you know, come from your environment and the people who are around you. Because as a kid, you can only affect so much within, you know, your sphere of influence. So like, I mean... Even as a middle school, I remember my mom and my dad put me into certain situations where I would have to, you know, be uncomfortable, but would help me grow, pushing me to take certain classes, pushing me to do certain experiences. So I think it's a little bit of both. And I think that stays with you as you grow older. Then that makes you want to go do things on your own and be more, um, I guess, uh, assertive and seeking out new things and exposure. So I think it's a little bit of both things playing to each other. And so, like, I would go, if I had to pick, right, if I, I would go so with the intentional, um, because I also think that, yes, you are, you know, you can't, as a kid, you can't decide what your environment is. But I think some of the things that, just like anything else, right, if, if you grew up in a household where alcohol or drugs are prevalent, you know, you have a decision whether or not you want to go down that path and do the opposite. I think exposure is the exact same way, right? So, for example, um, 
I came from a, a no, a pretty much a family. We didn't really have means to really do much. Um, and I didn't get to travel much. But once I, you know, kind of went to college and found out, oh, they had, you know, study abroad programs, things like that. I decided, like, look, I want to make this choice to go out and expose myself. Let me travel. Let me travel to a country I've never been to before. Don't know the language, don't know anything. I think that was more so a decision based off of what my natural environment was growing up, right? Um, even that aspect of, like, how do you continuously learn and grow as an adult? I think those are all intentional decisions that you have to make. Um, growth just doesn't hit you in the face. Um, I think it's something that you have to seek uh, and strive for. Uh, for example, like y- y- y'all already know, I watch tons of Breakfast Club interviews and Sway in the Morning, Big Board TV. This is just a way for me to learn, whether it be how an artist is, you know, what's his mind frame and his thought process when he's, you know, delivering the record or anything else. So the other day I was watching um, the Nipsey Hustle interview and he had two he had two pieces of information that like I was Same. like man I really want to look it up so in the interview he mentioned um this, this doctor by the name of Dr. CB right so most people it's CB it's how you pronounce it Sebi they said it Sebi. wrong yeah so yeah it's yeah <laughs> okay. it's, doc, it's, doc, it's Dr. C. got him no <laughs> that, was, that was actually a point of contention in the in the in yeah the, but no Dr. CB like Sebi or very, very briefly you know pretty much he was a doctor who uh who was from Honduras he was self-educated and pretty much it was like said that like the government killed him just because he came out with all these cases saying that he killed like some of the most deathly diseases known to us like AIDS um diabetes things like that the FDA actually sued him and he won the case in court because he was able to provide the witness that was like I was like from that piece yeah. of information I could have just heard that and it was like you know what it's whatever, but I actually went and sought more information on it. I'm actually highly interested in that, so. Right. So, you, I mean, in that, you became intentional about exposing yourself to more information just because you kind of naturally stumbled upon that little piece of the little tidbit of information that uh, that Nipsey said. Yeah, but question those. But but did he, he actually cure that stuff? Or like what? So we don't know. I mean, I, I looked it up a little bit, too. I did the exact same thing as Daryl. I'm like, because yeah. they're, they're saying old boy was like an herbalist or something. And he was like, he was all about natural cure. So one of the reasons that they wanted to shut him down and try to like have him killed or, you know, is that he was essentially going to shut down these medicine and, and pharmaceutical companies that are making millions, if not billions of dollars off of, you know, maintaining a person as opposed to just flat out curing. So to answer your question, like directly, Chris, I like I've just started reading, but I believe so, because like I said, the court case and like court cases, things like that, like the manuscript or whatever is saved. So they said that in order for him to get off and to win that case, he had to present witnesses. They said a witness. He presented 70 plus witnesses that they all represented something that he cured, whether it be diabetes, whether it be high blood pressure, whether it be. Did he have an AIDS person? No, because I feel like that was the biggest thing that they (laughs) like. I need at least one AIDS cure. So he did. So, I mean, so he did. They said he had a person. Right. So, like I said, I have to do more learning myself because pretty much what they broke it down to is that all of these things are based on like mucus, like a. uh, what's the accumulation of mucus and yeah. depending on where it's placed in the body is what triggers what diseases, you know. And so like some of that is, you know, of course, all of those have been suppressed and redacted and all that, of course, is the government. But I like to think it's plausible. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go with it until they flat out say he was wrong. But like I I had to look it up to I didn't see any AIDS cure. I'll have to. I'll have to defer my comment because I have no I have no, uh, no intelligence of what this gentleman So, Tron, you, so you've been like the residential doctor on this, on this podcast. 
I, I know, but I don't know what this dude is talking about. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be like, no, oh, no. What I'm, wanna, you know, I don't want to say, oh, no, this, he's a quick. Yeah, no, what I'm saying, I think I think you should, like, actually delve into it. and I Yeah, think, you might actually get more yeah, out of it. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, another thing that I also uh, heard on that, I don't know if you, y'all ever heard of uh, a spook who sat by the door. I thought this was pretty interesting. Yeah. Just, uh, just because, like, I had never known about any of this. It was pretty much a story about... Uh, the first black man in the CIA, right? Pretty much how he infiltrated, um, you know, pretty much, yeah, how he infiltrated CIA and used their tactics against them. Just because they were trying to do the whole, you know, token Negro, uh, you know, we do you know, affirmative action and we have, a, uh, you know, a, a racially diverse staff and he ended up like learning all the tricks in the other trade and turned, you know, turned against him. There's nothing they could do about it. I thought that was a pretty dope story as well. I mean, keep it a buck. That Nipsey interview was fantastic. It was, it was, it was love key. One of the best interviews of the year, to be honest. Yeah, it was like amazing. But yeah, no, I mean, that's good examples though. I have to go uh, watch it myself. Yeah, you got to get exposed. Yeah, Nipsey, Nipsey's on some higher levels. Myself so. exposed to this. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There but yeah, go. but for example, though, that's right? Because the, 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 the crazy thing is, right? People think because these people are rappers and they may have you no know, sell drugs. You know, Nipsey's a definitely a, a a renowned crip. Like, doesn't mean like he like doesn't study or he doesn't go research things or doesn't learn things. So he's exposing himself, and I think those are intentional too. Because you think about the environment. Look at the environment he grew up in, South Central LA. <laughs> like, ain't nobody reading about no Doctor CB or a spook who sat by the door out there. I would be be very careful. I think, I think a lot of people lump people into categories. You know what I mean? And so people will associate one thing with somebody and they assume another thing. So, you know, I would be very careful to lump people. I'm not saying that that's what, you know, you're doing. I'm just saying as society is always what people do. I think it's just human nature. It makes it easier to make comparisons. We just lump. That's what humans do. Super PC. Look around the dawn. Yeah, yep. I'm about to say because you you know what I meant. Like no, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying like in general. But back to our topic of like being exposed. I guess the next, the, my next thought is exposure in the workplace and how does it how does it benefit? Uh, how can it be a benefit? How can it be a detriment? Especially to, I mean, we're all black males. How can it be a benefit or detriment to black men? I want to get into that. However, I think it depends on what your intent is as a person, right? Uh, if you're just trying to experience what it is to be human and be exposed so that you can just know about culture and just feel cultured and, you know, maybe you're in it for the art of it or just the understanding of humanity. But if you're in it for success in any light, um, exposure is going to like pay dividends in the workforce, right? Because you're going to be a more diverse candidate. You might know a little bit about everything. You kind of got the jack of all trades thing going for you just because you've been exposed to multiple things. Uh, at least, I mean, that's how I could see it playing out in my career so far. Uh, but I just feel like having a little bit, knowing a little bit about a little bit of everything and not necessarily being out of any conversation or any discussion is always going to be a positive thing in the workforce. Yeah, I, I partially agree with that. Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, make sure you, you have a, uh, I guess, a diverse portfolio of skills, traits, or like, you know, things that you may know. But it's also nothing wrong with, with also just perfecting the things that you've already been exposed to and just like being, being knowledgeable in those things or being good at those things. Like, 
for example, at my job, a lot of folks love golf and I, they, they're in the office putting golf all the time. And they're like golf, this and clubs that and, and four inch putts. And you got to wiggle to be honest. I, I have no, no intention of learning any of that shit. I don't want to know. Yeah. Right. And yeah, you don't care either. Yeah. I mean, granted, would that, would that improve my relationship with somebody? It may, but I've also realized that me just like me not going for that level of exposure to something to better, to try to better my career because I know about golf. I, I've still, with, I still hold the same relationship, but even more just, you know, maintaining the things that I know now um, about certain things or just, you know, if, if I love music, like I'm just, I'm talking about music, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be like, Oh yeah, I love golf too, man. Yeah, golf is all about it. Let's do golf, golf, golf. Like, I'm not. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a story about that. Lanisa's working her way up the my wife. My wife is working her way up, you know, the corporate ladder. She, you know, rubs shoulders with some VPs and CIOs and, you know, she's she's doing well. She's in a room um, for like a corporate event and a guy sitting next to her is a male and, you know, he's a he's a, a man's man to an extent. CIO comes up, shakes his hand, starts talking about the game, talking about all types of dude shit, you know what I mean? Quote unquote dude shit. And Lanisa's caught off guard because she's like, hold on, why he ain't saying nothing to me? But at the end of the day, if old boy wanted to talk sports and do all the glad handing over that, it was, it was, I guess, to me, befitting of that guy to at least know what the dude was talking about and to be exposed to the world of sports or whatever he was into, at least in the corporate world where you're going to do the, you know, whoever knows who is going to get the furthest. That sounds like the insecure episode when old girl was trying to become partner. And then she would be going to the games and she was still getting left out because it's just not, they just weren't looking for that. Yeah, because she's not in the boys' Exactly, so I mean, <laughs> but I think the same thing goes, I mean, I've been in a situation not similar to like talking about golf, but like I'm up here in Minnesota and I mean, people out here ice fishing and people out here ske- uh, like skiing and sledding and Ski, I'm just yeah. like, you know, this would be great to build relationships, but it's just not in my wheelhouse. And I can catch eye in this environment that's a little bit more conducive to me actually, you know, sharing stories, but being more genuine to myself. So I guess at a, in a sense, you don't want to get overexposed because now you're in an environment that you're just like, yeah, I'm out here on a limb and I'm obviously uncomfortable. So I don't know if you want to call that overexposure, right? Would it, would it be the worst thing in the world if you just went skiing with them one time? Just to know what it's like, know what they're talking about, you know what I mean? Like fall down the mountain a little bit, get a little bit of taste of what it is, just to have like a little bit of a diverse mindset when it comes to that the next time you're Risk benefits, the risk outweigh the benefits. I go up there and I get hurt, I'm going to be mad at myself. Because <laughs> then I, if I go up there and I tear an ACL skiing and I ruin my basketball career, I'm going to be mad at myself. But I mean, I could I could go ice fishing for sure. That, that's definitely something that would have been, you know, would have been uh, able to be done if I had the time to. Well, see, so I think that's a dangerous mindset to have, right? Because like Josh said, I don't think there is a such thing as overexposure. Um, specifically because like, yes, you, of course you don't want to tear ACL or anything like that. You don't want to injure yourself. But there are lessons or values that could be learned just from you just attending the trip, right? Um you know, for example, like when, like she was in the insecure episode when I think it was Molly, she went to the game. Like, although she didn't necessarily get the 
the reaction she wanted from, you know, the partners and all that type of thing. Like she was still able to learn something from that, whether it be about herself, whether it be about the culture, you know, what her strengths and weaknesses were. There was there was opportunities to be able to learn it and to grow from that. I think that's the case with anything, right? It's just like for someone saying like, I don't want to go and start my own business, like to leave my job and risk it all because I could potentially lose it all, right? And it's like, why, why does that scare you, right? Oftentimes the most successful businessmen learn from their failures um, or learn from things that are not the most optimal outcome. So like I said, I kind of, I kind of, kind of, you know, harking on back on what Josh said is like, I don't think there's such things overexposure. Yeah. But is it, I think you definitely have to go ahead. Go ahead. Is it wrong to say you don't want to do something? No, it's not. But for that reason, I think so. So this is where I get back in. uh, This is what I was like prefacing with before is like, is it, is exposure solely for your experience of like what it is to be human or is, or are we using exposure in the sense that we're trying to get to a higher echelon of success in humanity, like, or in business or in life in general? I think one of your points of like becoming a more self-actualizing human being, I think that's a, that's a, that's a talking, I want, I don't want to offend you, but I feel like that's a talking point of privilege because if you have the privilege to be able to explore the world just because you want to become a better human being and you don't have uh, things that you have to take care of on the back end, like say, for instance, all right, I'm going to use just an example. Say you're a parent, two children in the house, you're a single parent. Do you really have the time to go and go hiking on Everest or whatever? Because, you know, that's what people do and you want to go find yourself. Or do you have to work that nine to five and keep providing for your kids? And the only exposure that you ever get is taking that night class because, you know, that night class may help you get a better job and maybe give you a little more free time. So my question is rather, is exposure limited to the experience itself as far as how grand it is or is it personalized? What do you guys think? I mean, that's no, I'm not going to say too much. I'm just saying that's actually a good point. Privilege and it's, it's uh, a relationship with exposure. Like that's, that's deep. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, that's a fact. We we all know that the people of the highest privilege will automatically experience the highest exposure. There's people that were born in families that have much more than us that were traveling overseas as a teen or, you know, or even younger because they, they just grew up in a family where that's just what they did. And as a result, they knew uh, how to speak a little bit of French early or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be a level of privilege is going to beget exposure. But at some point, I think uh, what we're kind of getting at is that becoming intentional about what you expose yourself to can introduce you to those things. And it won't necessarily take high levels of privilege to do it. And you might get some of that self-actualization for relatively cheap or or maybe, you know, whatever makes sense to you, I guess, whatever amount of money or exposure or whatever amount of will that you have to go do a thing. Like if you really wanted to climb Everest, I don't, I don't think two kids and, and you working your single job is really a, a barrier. It's, it's how bad do you want it? How bad do you think it's going to add to who you are as a person? I was just actually just going to go in there. Right. So I, I think that goes back to like one of the most simple, uh, you know, topics is like, you know, education. Right. Some people say, Oh, like, you know, this person, you know, wasn't afforded the opportunity to go to school and it's kind of like, well, yes, you may not have the financial means, but especially in today's time, like, so I can't speak on a time 
um, prior, necessarily prior to the internet, things like that, because the internet was created in our time. Yes, the internet may not have been big when, you know, we were, but like, I mean, like you said, I came from an environment where I ain't had the internet at first. Only with the time I got to use it when I went to school. So, but there does come a time when you have to be intentional. And I think that's what it bases back to. Yes, you may not be able to climb Mount Everest, right? Or whatever. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn other things or even learn, you know what I'm saying? Like, even learn... I don't know, because I guess it's, I guess it's tough. Because, like you say, you, you can't get the experience of climbing climbing my Everest without actually climbing it. Um, but VR, you know bro. I, yeah, I yeah, nigga, that, that VR take it to that, the next yeah. level, bro. <laughs> yeah. so that's, that shit puts so, you in a whole other world. Exactly. So that's privilege. If you can't climb my Everest, I'm for sure you can't attain the the capabilities of getting VR to climb <laughs> my Everest. So. <laughs> Put put the fan on high, stand in front of the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> we also doing a podcast in VR, everybody. So look out for that coming soon. Uh, 2028. 2028. Uh, VR survival guide in your face. Literally. So I, so I guess I kind of want to... <laughs> I guess I want to kind of transition. Uh, so we've talked a lot about exposure, whether it's being, you know, just based off your, your, your natural environment or whether it be intentional. So I guess the next and most powerful thing to talk about is how do you leverage exposure? So perfect segue, bro. You've been killing it. Uh, no, so we're going to make a career off of referencing uh, Breakfast Club interviews. But the the Tristan Walker one. And Tristan yeah. Walker is somebody I think we all appreciate. Um, he talked about how when he went to uh, the private schools and wherever he went, he went to like a boarding school or whatever. So he comes from Brooklyn, pretty much a have nothing, you know, childhood, and then ends up getting exposed essentially accidentally to people who have so much. And he realizes the level of privilege that they're already starting life with. And he starts to try to leverage, you know, his relationships and his networking there to essentially catapult him into what has become like a very successful career in Silicon Valley and in the business world. And I feel like that is a is a perfect example of how a little bit of exposure could t- potentially go a long way. Excuse my ignorance, ignorance, but who who is that? Who is Tristan Tristan Walker? All right, so three of us love Tristan Walker. <laughs> uh, so tr- so Tristan so uh, trying are you are you familiar with Bevel? Yes or no? Yeah. So Tristan Walker is the founder of the parent company of that, which is Walker and Company. So Bevel is, oh. a, is a product of that. Um, they also actually just kind of released um, a woman's line as well. At first, it was centered around male grooming. So mm-hmm. he went to, uh, I want to say, he, yeah, he went to Stanford uh, uh, Business School and kind of like after that, kind of worked his investment firm trying to decide, hey, what's the problem that I can solve and where can I be most value added? And he ultimately settled on male grooming. Yeah, but that's dope. Essentially, what happened was, and the way he tells the story on the Breakfast Club is that he essentially went from a, a situation growing up in very similar to our upbringing, where he didn't necessarily know people outside of his community or things outside of his community, and then he went to this boarding school where you had people whose last names literally meant more than his whole life, and he started to understand, like, okay, these people, you know, they they've got experiences, they got bread, they got all this stuff. And uh, as a result of it, he goes to end up working for this uh, venture capitalist firm uh, after Stanford. And in the venture capitalist firm, he's like essentially racking his brain on 
what he can start a business on. And he wouldn't have even known any of that existed. He wouldn't have even tried to start a business or tried to get into tech or tried to do any of the stuff he is doing now if he wasn't exposed to it kind of early on. So he got exposed to that generational wealth and he was like, okay, this is yeah, a whole I mean, new it's the generational wealth, but also like the business world in general, right? So it's not like, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping he's doing well with his money and like, you know, you know, being a good steward and maybe creating generational wealth for his own children. But I'm saying like, at the very least, he's made a good name for himself. And I feel like he couldn't have even done that if he wasn't exposed, you know, in high school and in college by the people that he's exposed by. Yeah, man. That's definitely dope. Yeah, I mean, and it's a crazy story. I, I would I would suggest you go check out that Tristan Walker Breakfast Club interview because I feel like just as as black men, we need to hear that and see that because there's no, I mean, other than Tristan right now, I can't even name another like young, black, successful, like CEO level dude that I like would really aspire to be. And that's kind of sad. And I mean, they, they may exist and they may exist. We just probably don't know what. Yeah, 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 yeah. We might not know who they are, but I mean, at the end of the day, I know Tristan Walker, and I feel like that story inspired me to expose myself. There's a story that uh, not expose y'all myself. Check but. out. I have it. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we. There's a story me. I was I was kind of reading. I was reading the highlights of. I need to go back and read. Uh, but there was a, a profile on Childish Gambino in the New Yorker, and about how he kind of leveraged his way into um, the world of entertainment. And how he used kind of being an African-American, you know, kind of being a token pretty much and leveraged that foot in the door to catapult himself into where he is now, you know, self-producing and, you know, those types of things. So, I mean, those highlights and and success of few and far between Black you're saying, I mean, those are definitely aspiring and inspiring stories. So the one thing I will say about Childish Gambino is that like he's like literally one of the most talented people alive. Oh, he's definitely most talented. He could do anything, yeah. dude. Rap, so, sing, like, no, he, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not better than Jamie Foxx. Oh, Fox. oh, no, no, I'll put Jamie in that category. Jamie Foxx is also blocks. one of literally Jamie's the most one. talented people the in the world. But uh, we, don't like, have to, we don't have to knock, I will, I'm not we don't have to knock Jamie. I'm not knocking I mean, Jamie is a pioneer, you know what I mean? So Jamie pioneered and he showed the way, you know what I mean? He made it possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything, I mean, they both do the same stuff. They're both, Comedians, actors. In, in, no, even even down even Donald Glover said that Jamie's Fox is, is number one right now. I'm just I mean, I've yeah, no, no. I've had and I and I don't times. disagree. I don't disagree. I was actually just talking about that like two days ago about how Jamie Fox is like the most talented person. But what they I'm actually saying have is, they actually have blogs like dedicated <laughs> to Jamie Fox's talent. Like, no, it says like who's more talented than oh, Jamie gotcha. Foxx? Yeah, like, no, I mean name them. <laughs> uh any of the listeners, name them. Uh, but no, what I'm saying is that level of talent, even without exposure, I feel like he potentially could have got discovered. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess I just feel like, I don't know, man, you got, so that type of talent gets discovered. I read one of the highlights, man. I got to read the story like the full, cause it's a, it's a long read. So, I mean, it'll take a little bit, but I mean, at one point he was on the, uh, the set of, was it 30 rock or something like that? And he said during the course of him telling his, his jokes and his lines, you had Chevy Chase just making these crazy remarks in the background trying to throw them off. So even if you are that talented, you still have people who are gatekeepers. Because, I mean, Chevy Chase, I mean, National Lampoon. Right. You know I mean? You got people who are gatekeepers of this type of industry. And if you don't have that foot in the door and you're not ready to get in, they're not going to let you in. You know what I mean? So you have to. And he kind of talked about how Tina Fey was like, yeah, you got the job because you were the black guy. Right. Yeah. Not to say that you weren't talented, but you're the black guy. So it's kind of, you know. 
So I guess when I, when we kind of talked about, started thinking about this topic and exposure and how you leverage it, I think one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on is leveraging your blackness as an exposure. Because a lot of times people, and I, I'm not going to like lie, a lot of times you, you may get a look just because you are that minority. And I mean, I think a lot of mean and dispirited type of viewpoints in America at large are pointed towards minorities because we do get those extra looks because we are minorities. But I mean, if you look at it from the grand scheme of things, we started behind the eight ball. So I think those extra looks are beneficial and are warranted. But at the same time, do you ever feel uncomfortable knowing that you got that extra look or this extra benefit because you are a black male? I mean, I was talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago, and I, I think I don't get uncomfortable by it. I think I'm okay knowing it. And I think uh, having other <laughs> non-black people say it is uncomfortable. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I used to get, I used to get um, uncomfortable about it myself. But the one thing also though, is that there is a level of, of your own doing that you, your own doing that actually got you to that point. Right. Like, right. You just not, I mean, you, it's kind of like uh was it a double-edged sword or something like that? Like you're black, but you're also like, you're also talented and we also want you. Right. But we're right. also leaning on that. We're leaning towards mostly because you're also black. Like it's. Well, no, I mean, what it comes down to is you wouldn't be there without the merits that you bring hey, as, hey, exactly. as, as exactly. a candidate or whatever. Right. So it's not just that you black, I'm dope and I happen yeah, to be black, which is what you were looking for. Exactly. And I mean, Toronto is right. Like um, it's leveraging that, embracing that and using it to your advantage. Um, be, I mean, even your own race is giving you the opportunity to be exposed to something, which, which is it's it is a beautiful thing. And I, I hate using the word affirmative action, but that is that is something that we need to actually we need to actually like take control of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we should also make sure that our merits are at top notch, but utilize leverage our blackness to get us in, in areas that we need to be in. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's, it can become a sensitive subject because you, I don't, I don't want to be discriminated on and I don't want to be right. chosen because I'm just a particular type of person. It's kind of like get out where they like, Oh yeah, we like him cause he's black and we know he's fast and he's this and he's that. Right. But you know, I, also look at my merits. Also look at my knowledge. Look at my intellect. Look at the things that I could possibly do. Um, and yeah, it's cool being black. So I know why you want me on your team. Like I, I get it. Like it's, it's like I understand. So I'm gonna come at it from a kind of like a, a sideways angle. Like kind of not not totally disagreeing. But me, man, I support affirmative action. <laughs> Honestly, like. <laughs> it's one of those things to where without affirmative action, they wouldn't give you a second look. So it's it's like thing it's like things in NFL with the Rooney Rule. It's like things you know, um, like I said, the affirmative action with the, with education. Uh, I, I went to a school predominantly white, four percent African Americans, uh, mechanical and aerospace. Graduated in the class one of seventy two. I mean one, as in the only person of pigment in their skin. Mm -hmm. Like out of seventy two mechanical and aerospace students, <laughs> I was the only one. Uh, and really just being able to, yes, I mean, they didn't really care about the merit or anything to get me there. Because actually, in order to get in that position, I had to fight um, against the system. Well, that's a discussion for another day. Um, but like at the end of the day, it's okay, now that I have this, what am I going to do to leverage it? I'm going to go out there and try to make as many 
people like me as possible. That's why we come up with the idea of untapped scholars. That's why we come up with different things that we kind of go up there and build the younger generation um, because we were given the key, right? So now that we have the key and the doors open, let's break that joint down. Like, and let all the people in. That's kind of what I kind of liked about the idea of, like, the spook we set by the door because that's really what that was. It was about, you know, the CIA showing that, hey, like, we're not racist. We do have a you know, culture at a diverse staff. So let's let this black person. And when you break down the title, a spook who sat by the door, like, a spook is, one has a negative connotation of, you know, black people and, you know, right. being it's called a, and all It's a that. racial term, yeah. But, but also, in government terms, it's also known as a spy. And that's technically what he was. So, mm-hmm. the, the, so this man, Dan Freeman, really, really went in, absorbed all the knowledge and stuff that he could. He became an expert in hand-to-hand combat. He became an expert in guerrilla warfare, expert in gathering and So he basically became Killmonger from uh, Black Panther. Uh, yeah, so I guess, so, I mean, you can use terms as that. But what he did was, and what they weren't expecting, he eventually quit. He was from Chicago. He was from the inner city of Chicago. Yeah, he back to the inner city of Chicago. And he started arming everyone around him with these tools so eventually he became he created like this guerrilla group and yes they did some radical things like blowing up the mayor's office kidnapping <laughs> kidnapping the general and like drugging them just just blowing up the mayor's office but 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 hold on but so but the, the underlying theme the underlying theme of all that <laughs> Hold on, guys. Hey, you yeah. caught me off guard. No, but no, but that, but that's what happened, right? But like the underlying theme of that is what he showed <laughs> that is how powerful we can be when we all gather in arms together and not just make it for ourselves, but make it for the people. And we all can like galvanize the troops. Like we can be more powerful. That's pretty much what the underlying message of that is. Like once they give you the key as the token black guy, leverage that and bless everybody else with it. Oh, you had me a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, that's that's basically Killmonger from Black Panther. Like that's basically he, yeah he yeah he blew it. He, he blew it. It's, it's okay. All these scars are from everybody I've killed in battle. I've killed in Iraq. I've killed in Afghanistan. I only kill my own people just so I could come and kill you. That's what that basically sounds. How many times have you seen this movie, bro? <laughs> I saw this shit once, bro. Hey, but that movie was dope as hell. I really like Black Panther. I need to go see it again. It was really dope. I've seen it twice, and yes. like I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that's not. That, yeah, we, no, no definitely, we should. Definitely. We should talk. We should have a second. We gotta. Though. We gotta say that so much. It's, it's, I gotta see it again right, too. That is. That right, is. Al, but it's a heavy topic. <laughs> yeah, back back to the topic at hand. Sorry. But yeah, man, uh, definitely leveraging. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because I was sitting in my. Uh, I was sitting in a kind of a conference within my department. And I mean, it's only two black males out of like 20 some odd people. And he was out of town. He was at an away rotation. So I'm just sitting there. I'm just thinking like, yo, I am the only black guy in this whole department, including like faculty. I'm like, I'm the only black guy on this campus right now besides the other dude who's out of town. I'm just like, we are really underrepresented at the highest levels of everything. And it really makes me sad. Yeah. And you want you always think like, how can we change these things? And so you try to do these initiatives. And there's so many different nonprofits. I mean, we have our organization. There's organizations all around the you know the country. And you know, I, when I was doing some research back in medical school about how to improve minority representation in med- medicine, I mean, some of the biggest things that you see is that kids make their decision super early as to how they're gonna, you know 
pursue their education. I mean, some kids decide as early as the first grade what they would want to do. And so a lot of these outreach programs sometimes don't really catch the kids early enough. And I think it's a it's a little bit of a kind of two things playing a factor. It's the programs themselves, but it's also the education system and how it fails our youth at a very young age to where you're, you're playing catch up for the rest of your life. Yeah. And now I know I'm kind of going off kind of like a, a, a tangent, but it's really hard. It's really hard to just kind of come to grips with how underrepresented we are at the highest levels of so success. I, I, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I mean, you know, we just had our, our meeting with our uh, with our current student. And in that conversation, one of the things that came up was essentially that he wanted to go to an HBCU because he was more comfortable with black people. And I feel like that was one of those things where maybe he hasn't had enough exposure or maybe, you know, a, a level of exposure in order to be com- uh, comfortable and confident um, going to like a, a non-HBCU. And I think that's another one of those things where like if you get it early, you can maybe leverage it long term. But, you know, this is delaying it to an extent, having him go to an HBCU. And I'm not knocking HBCUs, but having... um you know, someone who grew up in a majority black society going to an HBCU is essentially just, you know, staying in the same environment that you've been in all your life. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt about that, but. So before we answer that, I guess moving on to our last subject is how do you, if you do decide to expose yourself to something that's uncomfortable, like being a minority, you know, in a major super majority PWI, how do you deal with that dissonance, the, you know, the self-doubt that you're going to feel, the isolation, the conflict, you know, between people and yourself, self-conflict? How do you, how do you, how did you guys manage that? How would you yeah, I mean, suppose people by, manage by, those by, by that same token, I would say you just have to immerse yourself in it and then kind of learn and get, and get through it just through learning. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like taking the, the approach that um, our student is taking. Like when, in those situations, I feel like you have to have a safe zone, right? And those safe zones are those, you know, African-American student societies, those African groups, those the, the things that make you feel comfortable so they can prepare you or at least embolden you to go and and deal with being the only black person in your class of 72, you know? And I, I don't, I, I think it, I'm starting to understand now, as, as we're talking about this, like, how how that looks from I guess a, a macrocosmic perspective with the HBCU because you're going to a, an entire school like you're going to be immersed in the entire school that's telling you or emboldening you or giving you these tools to now go face the world as a minority as you know dealing with the the uh, the reality of being the one of seven one of you know two people at the highest level. So, I mean, I feel like those things, those, those groups, those organizations, those programs in PWIs are definitely necessary for minorities. And that even branches over to like, you know, non-black minorities, like, you know, Asian, Asian or Indian, like they, you have to have that feeling of, of, of like this safe space um, where you can, again, where you can sort of flourish and then go out there and, and try to uh, deal with those things of being the only person. So Dur, how did you, how did you deal? Cause I know you, I know you probably came across some conflict. How did you deal with that, that dissonance and that isolation when you were at OSU? 
Uh, <clears throat> I mean, honestly, uh, yeah, I mean, like, the <laughs> the cliche answer, like Josh says, just to learn and, and to go through it. But honestly, it's it's kind of like, where, where, where do you, are those things that you're going to fall back on when, you know, when times get hard, when you question, like, man, like, if this is the right path for me to take, like, <laughs> do I even want to even be here anymore? And I think really it comes down to a little bit of just self-determination and motivation, but also, like Chris said, just being able to find some of that camaraderie. Because, um, like, especially in engineering, like, I can only speak in engineering at Oklahoma State University, but typically how it happens is that you may have two other people that look like you, but through the course of your uh, you know, matriculation through the, pro- the program, like, you eventually come down and it's just you. Um, so you have to really find things outside of that, right? You have to, you know... I joined, I joined, I joined fraternity, right? And the, my fr- actual fraternity was actually created at another PWI at Cornell. And the reason it was, it was created was to give you that sense of, you know, family, brotherhood, bond, like we're here, there with you. Although they're not taking the classes with me, but just to give you that sense of like, you're not in this fight alone. Um, and that's, that's really what it is. But you definitely need to have a steadfast, um, indomitable attitude because without it like you will be like swallowed up and spit out yeah for myself i guess to answer that question is like sometimes i I guess over time as you realize that you're the only one in there eventually at least for myself i just became numb to the fact that i'm the only minority or the only black male within a certain group of people and then you then you look back because i don't know i was just sitting there and i look back and i was like wow i am really the only one here right now and so I guess you just become numb to it and you just kind of integrate yourself. It kind of reminds me, I forget who wrote the poem, We Wear the Mask, and how you just become the second person when you're in that yeah. setting. And then you take it off when yep. you leave that <laughs> setting. And I guess that's what a lot of us have to do when you're trying to expose yourself to something that's totally outside of the norm for people who are within your type of people group or you're within your own socioeconomic status is that you just have to adapt this new persona and this new person, this new mindset. I guess. But I mean, don't you feel like it becomes a part of who you are, though? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's why that's why I'm saying it like I didn't really trip off of it. I don't even trip off of it. Like I, I've adapted over the years to just become integrated into a group in which I'm obviously a minority, but it just doesn't feel as though I am. You know what I mean? Like, you don't. I don't think about it. I don't make it. I don't let it interfere with my interactions with people. So Josh, though, so that, so that is one way, right? Because oftentimes, right, you have the people that actually slip into that depression, right? Because they're wearing this mask all the time. And when they go home, like they take this mask mm-hmm. off. And after a while, that mask becomes a burden, right? Because the, uh, because the dichotomy between who you are naturally compared to who you have to be. Like after a while, it becomes hard to wake up and put on this mask every single day to, for 60% of your life to go to work. Uh, so if you don't, if you don't merge that, you can't slip into depression or like lose who you are as, as a person. Right. So, I mean, I, I'm, I guess I'm really more aiming. You guys are kind of harping on uh, essentially the cultural differences and exposing yourself to other cultures. But I'm thinking like just in the grand scheme of, of, of exposure, like every little bit of it, whether it's desirable or not, or whether you like the feeling of being exposed or not it kind of like molds you into a a newer, more evolved self, right? Ideally. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess ideally, right? 
uh, if you, if you're taking it the right way. So maybe my piece yeah. of advice is just to make sure that every experience that you go through is making you a, a better person yeah. and making you go through these like periods of evolution and you're coming out on the other side evolved. That's, yeah. that's intentional. That, right? you know, it, yeah, it yes. definitely, yeah, it's intentional because you can undergo unintentional or like just uh, exposure, negative exposure. Ding, ding, ding. That's all I, that's want. what I you want know, to hear, Baz. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, I mean, that's like the most recent thing. That's being a 17 year old in the school and someone right, comes in and right. shoot that thing, shoots it, shoots it up. Like, yeah, the, mm-hmm. they all have walked away from that evolved. Like they're like their, their lives, they've changed. They've right. been affected by something negatively and it has both benefited them and also you know, was really dire to them. Like it, it made things a lot worse for them. So, cause out of it, you, you've, you've, they've grown as, as teenagers, you know, like, I I can only imagine, you know, the amount of strength and like endurance and just like perseverance you have to have to like come from right. that and then start a movement. You know what I'm saying? So no, I mean I, I get what you're saying, but I would also imagine that like these in that specific scenario, you got a bunch of fourteen through seventeen year olds that have had to grow up really fast, and as a result of that, it might have been a really really horrible experience that they went through. But as a result of that, they have the option or, you know what I mean, if they have the will to come out of it, a more mature, better person who can maybe even contribute to society on a greater level because they will have actually experienced something, whether it was highly, you know, painful, traumatic or negative. It's it's something that some of those kids might grow up and be motivational speakers. And if they hadn't gone through what they just went through a week ago, they would have never even had the experience or the exposure to do so yeah but some of them can come away from that with psdd right and are exactly. scarred for life PTSD. ptsd i'm sorry yeah. and scarred yeah. for life no, that's, that's facts. and so that goes so that goes back to the point that i made earlier is that like sometimes you can't dictate what your environment is but how you kind of like you say evolve or what your decisions therefore after um is you know intentional right so like like chris said like not to say that you like you want to have PTSD, but it's just like, hey, you you know, you got to be able to make some decisions and to say, okay, perspective, you know, gain a, a new insight on the situation or something like that, and maybe a little bit more intentional. Right. I mean, but it, like I said uh, before, it's I think the exposure, the more that you weave your exposure into the person that you are, or you're trying to become the more that you're going to feel isolated because nobody has experienced what you've experienced, at least not that exact combination of experiences, right? Every individual is a snowflake type thing. Like you eventually will become so isolated in your own experiences that there's, you know, the cultural connections that you have with somebody might not be enough for you to really be, I guess, thinking of them as, as, a, as a cohort at least outside of culture. Right. So I'm just, I'm going from the perspective of like, eventually you're going to be so experienced in life that you will be an individual in that you are the only person that has experienced the things that you've experienced. Being intentional about your exposure can make you, I guess, make the, the most of that. He's trying to talk about, you can go Super Saiyan 5, the ultimate. <laughs> the, the ultimate experience of human actualization yeah. is that you just start floating in the air because you have seen and exposed yourself to 
not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just being a little facetious. But yeah, I understand what you're saying, definitely for sure. I, I want to put a spin on that too, right? Because not every, so I kind of adapted kind of this mind frame um, a little while ago, just from just different you know, experiences that I've gone through in life. That um, really every every encounter that you have, and, you know, every, so pretty much every every encounter is a new exposure, new interaction, right? Um, not every encounter or exposure that you go through is for you. Okay. Honestly, like, like some sometimes like you are a living testament to someone else, right? So you going through that experience, you gaining that knowledge, you gaining that you may not know it or understand it at that at that moment, but like you went through it. I like to think that you go through everything happens for a reason. So like you were going through that for a reason, and it could be to be a testament to someone else, uh, which is therefore exposing someone else to you know situations, outcomes, advice, um, or path forwards. You know, so. So it's like go back. That goes back to my point. Like, is it wrong not to do something? Like, if I experienced something, I was like, you know what? Let me tell this particular person that hey, you probably shouldn't do that. Or should I let them go ahead and say, hey, hey, you know what? Go experience it yourself and see what happens. Right. Even though, like, for me personally, and and maybe even objectively, it wasn't the best option. But do I allow them to go and do it still so that they can learn about it? Hey, sometimes experience is the best teacher. Sometimes. Yeah, but by that same token, you could say like, hey, kid, you know, go struggle and make, make a life of horror for yourself just so you can learn from it. Just so you can come out the, the ashes like a phoenix. Like, right. Yeah. right. No, you're right in that sense. So you can provide it, right? But it's up to them to listen, right? What's the, what's the saying that the uh, older people say? A hard head makes for a soft bottom. Yeah. <laughs> so but under the mean, assumption that under the assumption or that fat meat is greasy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Teaching that fat meat greasy. Yeah. Greasy. It's it's greasy. 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 Yeah, greasy. Yeah. Not greasy. Yeah. Greasy. That's what I said. <laughs> no, I see. I see what you say. You got to put the yeah. 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 Extra Z on it. That's what you got to do. But uh, but yeah. No, but yeah, but like, I mean, all, all overall, man. Like I said, I think I think we hit you no know, pretty much some good talking points today. Like, was exposure why it's important? Um, whether it's you know natural or it's intentional, and how do you ultimately leverage it? Whether it be just in life or the workplace or kind of the experiences you go through, um, and you know, and not like, how to overcome like the the conflict, self doubt, isolation. So, like I said, man, just be out there and you go expose yourself. Well, don't expose yourself. Well, <laughs> not expose yourself, but like, but seek seek exposure. Why not? You know, culturally. And for any of the listeners, if y'all want to check out that that poem I was referring to, is Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We wear the mask. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So we actually shout out to book. Google. Shout out. Shout out to Google, <laughs> Doctor Google. Well, yeah. This is this this your boy D Wells, D Carrison Twenty Two signing off. Cold world, stay bonded. <laughs>